It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just thank you so much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button while you're watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. This has been at Flying Solo. We're Since we're getting past the the post-spring on the college football calendar, we're going to go ahead and start handing out preseason picks. You know, a lot of things can change, you know, as we get into the offseason. There's going to be transfer portal additions. There's going to be, you know, injuries that happen during fall camp. But right now, as we sit here today, we're here to give you our preseason picks, and we're going to hit all the Power 5 schools. Today, we're starting off with the SEC. We're hitting the ACC. We're hitting the Big Ten. We're hitting the Pac-12, the Big 12. We're hitting all the Power 5s. And if you're, if you're not a fan of a Power 5 school, let's say you're a fan of, of BYU or Coastal Carolina or Cincinnati, we've got something for you too. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be releasing a group of five top ten. So if you haven't got a chance, go back. If you're new to Crunch Time Plays, go back and check out our episode with Coastal Carolina head football coach Jamie Chadwell, a really exciting interview, a really great conversation that I think you'll enjoy. And Coastal Carolina is definitely going to be in our group of five top 10 when it comes out here in the next few weeks, because there's so many great things surrounding that program in Conway. When you talk about Grayson McCall and we talked about no Sunbelt player is every one player of the year in back-to-back seasons. So there's so much expectations for Grayson McCall. We talked about managing those expectations and it was just a great conversation. So go back and listen to it if you, you hadn't already, but we're starting out with the SEC preseason picks today. Going ahead and going to go ahead and throw the graphic up. If you're watching, this is the graphic of my preseason picks. If you're listening, I'm going to go ahead and run down through it real quick. I'm going to start in the east, and then I'll throw the graphic back up as we move into the west uh, later on. But I do have Georgia winning the east, but obviously the real excitement's coming at number two in the SEC. You when you look at a team like Missouri, Kentucky, Florida. And a lot of Florida fans, you're probably not going to like me for putting Florida at number four. And th- this graphic is going to go out on social media, so make sure you're following us there at Plays Crunch. And let's get a conversation going because there's points to make on both sides. You know, I'm going to argue today that Florida is going to finish fourth in the East, but maybe you have a different opinion. Maybe you think they're going to win the East or, or finish number two in the East. Well, let's get on social media and, and really share out this graphic and really let's have a conversation about it and so let's go ahead and and hit the ground running let's go ahead and start with our georgia breakdown i've got georgia finishing eight and zero in the sec they're obviously going to be in the college football playoff conversation if they do that and jt daniels you know when you really broke him down really opened that offense up the last four games of the regular season last year and he is the sec quarterback that's coming back with the most weapons I don't think he's the best SEC quarterback. We're going to get into that whenever we talk about a team over on the west side of town, over in the SEC West. But he's definitely the best quarterback with the weapons around him, even after the George Pickens injury. You know, when you look at a guy like Dominic Blaylock, he's coming off of an injury, but he's going to be back. You look at Jermaine Burton, he just hyperextended his knee in the spring, but he's going to be back. We talked about Arian Smith, you know, that deep ball threat that we talked about with Brooks Austin on the show 
a few weeks ago when we did a, a look at Georgia. And then Matt Luke, he's the best offensive line. You know, he probably could be the best offensive line coach in the SEC. When you talk about the running back room for Georgia, you know, they've kind of been known as an RBU. You know, we have Gurley and Marshall and Michelle and, and Chubb, but there's not a guy we talked about the RBU. There's really not a guy that's really proven on this in this Georgia running back room right now, but there's definitely going to be that at the end of the season. You know, I look at a guy like Kendall Milton. I think he's really going to be the X factor for this team. He can do so many things. He can, you know, he can pass block. He can catch balls out of the backfield. He has got the ability to, to get north and south, really turn it up. But, you know, when you, you've got the – You've got the usual suspects, Zamir White and James Cook, and then you add Kenny McIntosh to the mix. You know, he's they've got four really talented running backs, <clears throat> embarrassment of riches in that room. Just no one stands out in that room yet, so that's why we wouldn't put the continuing RBU label on this Georgia running back room right now, but definitely so many games are in the season, 12, you know, 13, 14, even possibly 15 games to – to improve that Georgia running back room and, and for guys to to step up because there's so much talent in that room. It's just a matter of a guy stepping up and being that bell cow back. And then, you know, when you talk about the Georgia defense, really the questions in the secondary. You know, you add Tyke Smith, the transfer defensive back from West Virginia. That was a, a great addition for Georgia. But but Kirby and, the, and Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator, they definitely have their work cut out for them in the secondary. But one thing about the secondary, when you, when we talk about playing complementary football, we talk about the offense helping out the defense. But another part of complementary football is parts of the defense bailing out another part of the defense. So when you talk about Georgia's defensive line, we talk about their edge rushers, their linebackers, they can rush the passer maybe better than anybody in the SEC. So when you think about that, you think about the fact that they could be able to cover up some of those deficiencies in the secondary with rushing the passer, affecting the passer with batted balls and sacks. So, and that gives the secondary time, you know, five or six games into the season, it gives their secondary time to improve and be the secondary that Kirby and Dan Lanning want, want them to be. And then, when, and then the last final point I'll make on Georgia is the Will Muschamp X factor. You know, so much was made of, of him getting fired at South Carolina. But Will Muschamp's such a great coach. And, you know, we talked about it with Mike Griffith last week, which if you had, hadn't gone back and, and li- watched or listened to the Mike Griffith episode last week, we really did a deep dive on the Will Muschamp X factor at Georgia. You know, we talk about Kirby not being able to call Nick Saban for advice on playing defense, but he can turn to his great friend, Will Muschamp, and say, hey, shoot it straight with me. Tell me what's good, what's bad with our defense. That's really going to be a benefit for Georgia. It also helps them, as we talked about in our first game, in the first game with Clemson on September 4th there in Charlotte. And talk about a guy like Will Muschamp that's faced the Clemson offense the last five years. You know, the, the players are going to be different. You know, we talk about DJ Uyangale for Clemson playing quarterback instead of Trevor Lawrence, but the offense is still going to be the same. And so when you think about Will Muschamp, he's a great X factor for Georgia in that first game of the season as well. And then kind of moving past Georgia, you know, the real debate starts. You know, you've got Missouri, Kentucky, and Florida. And and right now, I just think it's Missouri. 
And if we, we're breaking down Missouri, I think they're finishing second in the East this year. And the, the critical game is going to be Kentucky on the road week two. You know, we'll talk about it when we get in more with Kentucky, but Kentucky's got a new offensive coordinator and William Cullen that just came over from the Los Angeles Rams. You know, so so much excitement around that offense, but still don't know who's playing quarterback for Kentucky. We know who's playing quarterback at Missouri in Connor Basilak. And some of the things I want to see from Connor Basilak, you know, we talk about his running ability. I want, to, I want to see more of that this year. I want to see more of the option game for, for Connor Basilak, especially when those guys, those great, you know, weapons that Missouri's going to have this year, being able to get out on the edge, get Connor Basilak moving the pocket, get him running with his feet, get him, you know, pitching that ball and the option because he ran the, you know, the option in high school. So that's really an element of his game that I like to see him taking the next step on, but he also needs to improve his deep ball percentage. You know, he's had the low, his lowest percentage on completions comes from balls 20 plus yards down the field. And he took some strides in that last year. He made some really nice throws 20 plus yards down the field in the later part of the season. So I really do think that if any quarterback is able to take that next step, I think it's going to be Connor Basilak. And then, you know, you add, Mookie Cooper, the wide receiver transfer from Ohio State, you add him. You know, the, you know, the main question for Missouri is going to be on defense, but, you know, they lost a lot of guys. But when you talk about the way they've been able to recruit, they've recruited really well on defense. So I think that's, you know, and it gives you more time, you know, to improve because this, this is an offensive league. It's not a defensive league anymore. So, if your offense can go out and score 35, 38 points a game, your defense doesn't have to be great right off the bat. It can have time. It can have four or five games to kind of get into the swing of things, get in, you know, get to improve. You know, when you talk about Missouri's schedule, you know, one of the reasons I put them over Kentucky in the East is because of, like I said, that Kentucky is still going to be trying to figure out who they are in week two. Missouri has an offensive game plan already from last year. You know, when you talk about new guys, you know, Kentucky, their offensive staff's new. And so in week two, I just don't think, even though they're at home, I don't think Kentucky's going to be able to get it done. And then Missouri obviously has Florida at home late. They, they win that game as well. I think their, their defense is, is going to be – much improved by then, and they get uh, the Gators at home. So I like I like Missouri to finish a number two in the East, and they kind of switching over now. We're getting in the Kentucky breakdown. You know the game that I think the, the game that we touched on is Kentucky and Missouri in week two. And we talk about Kentucky. We don't really know who's going to be playing quarterback yet for Kentucky. Got Bo Allen and, and Joey Gatewood kind of fighting it out. I personally think it's going to be Bo Allen. I mean, Chris Rodriguez, he's one of the best running backs in this league. But And then they obviously added the wide receiver from Nebraska and Wondell Robinson, the tight end – or excuse me, the wide receiver – yeah, the wide receiver from Nebraska, Wondell Robinson. You know, he's a guy that's going to be able to plug into that offense. But it's just the staff continuity I don't think is going to be in place yet. 
in week two whenever Kentucky plays Missouri. So that's that's the game. You know, Kentucky's still going to have a great season. They're great defensively. I think Mark Stoops is the most underrated coach in the SEC, the way that he's had success by Kentucky standards in that program. You know, they're really solid on both lines of scrimmage. Their offensive line is really good. Their defensive line is really good. That's really going to, you know, give you a chance in these SEC games because we all know in the SEC it all starts up front. If you can't block, if you can't get off blocks on the defensive line, you're not going to block anybody up front on the offensive line, and you're not going to affect the quarterback on the defensive line. And so we know that the SEC is a line of scrimmage league. It's just like the NFL. In Kentucky, they were fifth last year in scoring defense in the SEC, which was a great number. But it just goes back to the offensive continuity in week two against Missouri. That's the only thing that I don't really like about the possibility of Kentucky finishing second in the East. And now let's move on to Florida. Florida have got them finishing fourth in the East. I think they're going to take a step back this year. You know, when you look at when you look at Emory Jones, now he's he's a great quarterback, but he's never had to do it for a full season. You know, maybe Anthony Richardson comes in and possibly beats him out in the fall. You know, when we talk about losing Kyle Trask, talk about losing Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, Trevon Grimes, that's just so much. Even though Dan Mullen is the offensive wizard that he is, that's just so so much to lose on an offense, especially in an offensive lead that is the SEC now. But I do think that you're going to see more of the running game possible. Last year with Kyle Trask, we saw him air it out, saw him throw it to Tony, throw it to Pitts. But to me, I think there's going to be more of the running game this year with Florida. Really try to to use some boots, some waggles, and they're going to utilize Demarcus Bowman, the transfer from Clemson, the five-star running back. He's a great addition to Florida, but I, Florida's just so unproven at this point right now, and we don't know about Dan Mullen's future. We don't know if he really wants to be at Florida. I think he really wants to be in the NFL. That's why high school recruiting is really slacked off for Florida, and they're going with a lot of guys from the transfer portal, picking up some JUCO guys. And then when you talk about Florida defensively, man, Ty Grantham's got a lot to prove this season. The defense gave up 30.8 points per game last year, one of the lowest in the league. And, you know, they add a, a couple of new guys on that defensive staff. And so I really want to see what they're made of in the fall. I really want to see their resolve. I really want to see their will, their pride, because, man, I know that had to hurt their pride last year in those games. I really want to see how they bounce back. But for right now, I just I just don't think Florida finishes ahead of Missouri and Kentucky in the East. I really don't. So now let's move on to South Carolina. Got them finishing next in the East. Now we have we kind of want to take a deeper dive on South Carolina. I know we got a lot of, of following in South Carolina. People that listen to this show from South Carolina, so much following in South Carolina, so I really wanted to hit South Carolina really hard. And Shane Beamer in his first year, you know, he's he's done some great things. He's really getting out in the community, trying, and that's the thing in a rebuild. You want to make the fans 
feel involved. And, and Carolina fans, I, I understand your pain. You know, the past five years with Coach Muschamp, Coach Muschamp's an incredible, incredible man. He's he's a really great coach. He's it, it just seems to me like he didn't, you know, maybe it's because he, you know, is cut from that Saban mold. But he really, to me, he really didn't feel like fans are, were a part of the program. And that's really what the fans want is just to know what's going on. Obviously, you can't disclose everything. You can't talk about injuries, you know, during the week a lot because you don't want to give your opponents a competitive advantage. But it seems like a lot of the stuff that could be communicated wasn't. Like, you know, when Will Muschamp got fired, we find out, you know, from Mike Bobo that Xavier Leggett has been out pretty much all year after the Florida game. And South Carolina fans didn't know that. And so it, just so many things that contributed to Will Muschamp's demise at South Carolina. I think a lot of the fan negativity had to do with fans just didn't feel like they were a part of the program. And, you know, Carolina fans, I want to speak to you directly here because Shane Beamer has really made an effort to make you feel like a part of the program. So I definitely – like he's doing every, he understands, he gets it. He's doing everything in his power to make you want to go to the games, fill up the seats, support the football team in any way that you can. And so that's really going to build him up for success at South Carolina. Because in South Carolina, you have to be unique. This isn't Georgia, this isn't Alabama. You have to be unique at South Carolina, you have to do things differently. And that's what Steve Spurrier did. He was open. He made fans feel like they were a part of the program, the culture. We, you know, we talk about culture all the time. Culture was really awesome when Steve Spurrier was the head coach there in those gory years at South Carolina. So that's really what I know you South Carolina fans want this to get back to. And I really do think that South Carolina is going to be a formidable program here in the next few years. It's just going to take a little bit of time this year to build up that wheel, sign a really good recruiting class next year. And, you know, it could be two or three years down the road that South Carolina is competing for the SEC East. There's there's a lot of talent on that offense. You know, we talk about Luke Duddy playing quarterback. You know, I said that Jason Brown would probably win the quarterback job before spring practice, but now it looks like Luke Doty's kind of taking it by the reins and, and this staff knows that. Now, Marcus Satterfield, offensive coordinator, talks about him having a big brain. And that's, that's so, you know, great for a quarterback. Because when you think about all the things that quarterbacks have to deal with, you know, all the, all the praise, all the scrutiny, but also, you know, watching film. But they still got to worry about going to class, all the things that the student athlete has to do. You know, when you talk about having a big brain, Luke Doty, that's that's the guy that you you know you don't have to have a big brain to play quarterback, but just being able to manage everything, really awesome to know that South Carolina ha has a quarterback that can do that. But but Jason Brown, he's going to have his opportunity. Now he's going to have his opportunity to to be the starter in the summer, going into the fall. And we talk about Colton Golf here; he's got an opportunity as well if he really takes a a step up, but right now it certainly looks like Luke Doty has that quarterback job taken by the reins, but we're going to get into this with Auburn as well, because to me, Auburn and South Carolina are very similar because offensively, 
you have a really nice offensive line. South Carolina's offensive lines are probably a little bit better than Auburn is, given that, that Coach Malzahn uh, didn't really, you know, recruit much offensive linemen the past few years at Auburn. But, you know, when you look at the offensive line for South Carolina, Coach Atkins was a great hire there. The offensive line is going to be really good. And then when you have great running backs, you know, we talk about Kevin Harris, talk about Marshawn Lloyd, who we hadn't even seen on the field yet, but from everything, everything we know, he's going to be a great back. And we talk about Rashad Amos. And then Zaquandre White has really come on as well. But the, the main question that I have about South Carolina is number one in the secondary defensively. And may possibly need to add maybe another guy from the transfer portal uh, to play defensive back. But the thing that, you know, people have the most questions about South Carolina, much like Auburn, is who is Luke Daddy throwing the ball to? Now, we may see you know, that we may see some 23 personnel from South Carolina. We may see three tight ends, four tight ends, because they have an embarrassment of riches at the tight end position. E.J. Jenkins, he's a guy that is a red zone threat guy. He, you know, sitting out at the South Carolina spring game, and I've, I've said it on here, he reminds me of Kyle Pitts. Not because he's a proven guy like Kyle Pitts is, but because he's that red zone threat. He's the guy that you can go to in the red zone, throw a jump ball to, because he's 6'8", he can go up. I mean, you know, you got to get the ball to him. But he's a guy to watch out for. And all those tight ends, Jaheim Bell can run the football if he needs to. And then, you know, wide receivers, we talk about Jalen Brooks. He's He really needs to step up. There's so many guys that need to step up uh, in South Carolina's wide receiver room. And I know Justin Stett will be the first to tell you that. I know he's really excited about the progress that they've made, but he knows they've still got a long way to go. And so for this year, I expect South Carolina to line up. They're going to run the football. They're going to find creative ways to get the backs involved. And they're going to line up possibly you know, three tight end sets out there. Maybe some, some 13 personnel, some 23 personnel. I think we're going to see a lot of that from South Carolina. But the one thing that, that does excite me about that offense and you know, the, the spring game was very you know vanilla there was a lot of formations. There's there's so much, you know, eye candy that Marcus Satterfield could do to confuse defensive coordinators. You can be able to out-scheme people, even though you're so limited as to what you can do on offense. You're always scratching the surface this year, if you're South Carolina, on what you can do on offense. And that's going to be really key. But I don't think, you know, South Carolina's not ready yet to be in that top tier of the SEC East. But I really do think they're going to get there the next couple of years because I really love the Shane Beamer hire, and I love what he's going to do in Columbia. So moving out away from South Carolina, we go down to Knoxville, and we're going to hit on Tennessee and Vanderbilt real quick to round out our East, and then we'll throw the graphic back up and touch on the West. But Tennessee, for me, it's about the quarterback competition. Who's playing quarterback? You know, we talk about J.T. Shroud. You talk about Hendon Hooker, the transfer from Virginia Tech, and then you add Joe Milton into the mix from Michigan. You know, I want to know who's playing quarterback for Tennessee. 
And you know, Josh Heifel's going to run a great offense. He's going to run, you know, high octane, up tempo. But the only downside of that is Tennessee's going to give up a lot of points playing that way. So, and it's kind of like what we're going to talk about later on when we get to Ole Miss in the West is playing complementary football. Josh Heifel, he possibly this year, he needs to slow down, go to the speed limit a little more on offense, even though he's used to this high-octane, up-tempo offense. You're not going to win games if your defense is on the field 80% of the time because, you know, you, they are gassed, and then you go down and you score in two plays. Defense has to go right back out there. And so you're not you're not going to win very many games if you don't play complimentary football. Josh Heifel's really going to need to, you know, go the speed limit a little bit more on offense. And then number three is the NCAA unknown. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Tennessee. You know, it's probably not going to affect them on the football field this year. So this pick is really just based on, you know, a talent and, and schedule standpoint for Tennessee. You know, I think Tennessee is going to score a lot of points. They have the potential to score 35, 40 points a game, but they're also going to give up 40, 45 points a game. So that's just not a recipe for success in the SEC. So that's why I've got Tennessee finishing next to last. And and last but not least, we'll hit Vanderbilt. I really love the, the Clark Lee hire. You know, kind of like Shane Beamer. It's really guys that, that want to be in that program and – and Vanderbilt definitely has the potential. You know, we talk about name, image, and likeness coming up. Nashville is such a growing city in the United States. So many opportunities for kids with this new NIL here in the next few years. Vanderbilt could very well turn into a formidable foe in the SEC East. Just not going to happen this year. Don't think they're going to win a game in the SEC. And we talk about those facility upgrades. They've really done a great job promising Cartley that they're going to invest in football because to me when you talk and when we talked about with Mike Griffith last week truly felt like Derek Mason deserved that he deserved those facility upgrades he didn't get them and that ultimately led to his demise he's not going to get the quality players that he needs with those kind of facilities so I definitely applaud Vanderbilt for taking this commitment just kind of wish it would have happened earlier and Kenny Seals is going to play quarterback for Vanderbilt, and he could very well be one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC this year. But being in the first year of a new system, just don't think he's going to have the success. They're absolutely depleted on defense. They finish, you know, pretty much down at the bottom in every category in the SEC on defense last year. So Vanderbilt, I don't, don't think they're going to win – an SEC game this year. They did add a couple guys from the transfer portal and talk about Ramon Davis, the running back from Temple, that's really going to help them this year. But I just don't see Vanderbilt win the game in the East, but I really love the Cartley hire. I think the future is bright in Nashville from NIL, the facility upgrades. Those are two things that you can really hang your hat on the next couple of years in recruiting if you're Cartley and you're in Nashville. So switching over to the SEC West, going to throw the graphic back up. So you can see the SEC West had Alabama winning it, Texas A&M finishing second. Some really good debate between Texas A&M and LSU that I want to get into with that. So if you're listening to us on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, watching us on YouTube. This is this graphic. Just a reminder, it is going to be posted on social media. Make sure you're following us there at Plays Crunch. And let's really get a conversation going. Number one about Florida in the east, Missouri and Kentucky. And then the west, let's talk about Texas A&M and LSU. And, if you know, if you're a fan of any other team in the SEC besides those three or four, let's really get a conversation going. Tell me, give me your standings. Give me your preseason picks, and let's really get a, a conversation going about the SEC. But starting off in the west, going to go ahead and break down Alabama. You know, Nick Saban in the transfer portal is the first thing I want to hit on. They just added Henry Toa Toa linebacker from Tennessee, former five-star player. And, you know, Nick Saban told us that if we go on with this transfer portal, sure, he's going to lose some good players, but he's going to add some great players. And that's exactly what's happened. And Alabama's going to be really, really tough defensively this season. Do actually think they're going to drop a game in the SEC, though. I don't They've got some really tough tests. You know, when you talk about them going on the road at A&M, at Auburn, you know, Arkansas's no pushover now. And when we talk about playing LSU, Ole Miss, you know, Lane Kiffin's always going to be a tough test now for Nick Saban. So many guys, so many teams that they could knock off Alabama in the West this season. So I actually really do think they'll drop a game this year. But, but Nick Saban, just his ability to be able to morph and adapt into whatever college football rule changes are made, it just speaks to the excellence of Nick Saban and why he's truly an icon of the game. And then when you hit on Bryce Young, you know, Bryce Young's going to be just fine because he's got so many weapons around him. When you talk about John Mechie, a GA Hall really stepped up in the spring game. Slade Bolden, you had Jamison Williams from Ohio State. So many guys for Alabama. That's going to be so many great offensive weapons. But I actually do think their defense is going to be their calling card this season. You know, Pete Golding, he kind of got a kind of got a bad rap last year because their defense wasn't quite as good. But when you look at their linebacking core, adding Henry Toa Toa, so many great guys in the secondary. Their defensive line is going to be one of the best in the not only in the SEC but the country. So Alabama's going to win the West. I do think they drop one game. I don't know, not you know, prepared to to say what that game's going to be. When you look at the test they have in the SEC West, I really do think they'll drop one game this year. So we'll switch over to Texas A&M. Do have them finishing ahead of LSU in the West. This was a debate that I really went back and forth on. Texas, we'll hit on Texas A&M first. I want to see who their quarterback's going to be. I think it's going to be Haynes King. Zach Calzada did some really good things that I was really impressed with in the spring game. But Haynes King, you know, when we talk about Kellen Mond, he was a very serviceable quarterback. He was a guy that was going to give you everything he had on the football field in that offense. But I really do think that Jimbo is going to have the ability to open it up offensively. You know, Haynes King in the spring game, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of move in the pocket. I saw a lot of rollouts, a lot of boots and waggles that I was really impressed with from Jimbo and that Texas A&M offense. So I really do think they're going to have an opportunity to open it up, especially when you talk about Isaiah Spiller setting up the run 
you know, this could be a situation this year for Texas A&M where they're setting up the run with the pass and not the pass with the run. You know, last year in the pro style with Kellen Mond, they set up the run with the pass. They set up the play action. Spiller setting up the play action for Kellen Mond, throwing the ball down the field. And I actually think this year for A&M, their pass game is going to set up their run game. To me, that's just going to make Isaiah Spiller that much better because and he's already one of the best running backs in the SEC. The only downside to the running game and, you know, and the pass protection is they have to replace most of the offensive line. But given the way they've recruited, I really do think they're going to be able to do that. Defense under Mike Elko should be should be good again. And then the game on the schedule that's going to decide, I actually think they go into Death Valley the last game of the season and they knock off LSU. And so that's, you know, the only reason why I think they're both going to have very similar records going into that game. And so to me, A&M just beats LSU the last game of the season. And one thing about A&M, you know, we talked about them getting left, of the, left out of the playoff last year, nine and one. They could very easily be in that same situation this year where they're 11 and one. You know, if, if you play Alabama close, let's say you're 11 and one and you lose by a touchdown, three points or a touchdown to Alabama, you could very well find your way into the college football playoff. Just, you know, depends on who wins and loses that SEC championship game. But if I'm A&M and I go 11-1 and one and I'm standing on the edge of the college football playoff, I got to be happy with that season down in College Station as Jimbo continues to, to do a great job building that program. I want to hit on LSU next. And Coach, Coach O was very public about what went wrong last year for LSU. Definitely, I, I actually applaud him for, for you know, admitting all these, all those things that happened last year and being so public. I know a lot of people kind of criticized him for that, but I actually do think that it showed a side of him that was very apologetic. And, and you know, Coach O, he's a great underdog. He, he thrives on being the underdog. He thrives on being the guy that's looking up at the prize. And so when you – and I think he made some great – coordinator hires you know we talk about Jake Peets from the Panthers being part of that Joe Brady tree trying to recreate that 2019 magic going to get into a little bit more of that in a second and then we talk about Gerontae Jones being the defensive coordinator did a really nice job at Cincinnati although it did question a little bit of the hire considering Luke Fickle was really the guy that was calling the shots on defense but we talk about Gerontae Jones He's a guy that's been in that great defense at Cincinnati. So he's going to bring a great philosophy. He's going to bring a great scheme. And, he, you know, it, it can't get any worse for LSU defensively than the last year with Bo Pelini. Just, and, you know, going back to Florida, it's really a pride thing for LSU because those guys pride themselves on being the best. And whenever you see – Whenever you're in the stadium and, and your family's there watching you, all your friends, it's, it's really embarrassing. I know it was it was embarrassing for me whenever I play sports, like knowing that, that your family and your friends are there watching you and, and you don't come out on top. It, it's re really tough pill to swallow sometimes and it really hurts your pride. So I really do think LSU 
you know, they thrive in that underdog world. I really do think they're going to do a nice job and bounce them back this year. Trying to recreate that 2019 magic. It's kind of the point I want to hit on next is I don't, you know, LSU doesn't have quite the weapons to recreate that 2019 magic. The one thing that concerns me is when you try to recreate you know, magic from a previous year is this team is a little bit different. You know, if you try to, if you try to hit them with stuff that you did back in 2019, they may not respond well to it. You know, LSU is in a little bit of a, a little bit of a different situation because they have so many guys that remind you of a lot of that 2019 magic team. You know, when you talk about Keishawn and John Cherry Kirkland at wide receiver, they remind you of Chase. They remind you of Justin Jefferson. And so in this case, trying to recreate the magic, it may be a great thing for LSU because they do have the weapons to be able to do that. Do you think Max Johnson is going to be playing quarterback for LSU? Really opens up the RPO game, really gives you some stuff with his legs. We were talking about Connor Bazelak earlier. I think LSU could really benefit from doing a little option game with Max Johnson since he – is such a great runner. And then we talk about his intangibles, the moxie. They're going into Florida last year and winning. They really did a lot for his confidence. And then moving over to the defensive side of the ball, they're going to be improved. Because like we talked about earlier, the pride, the pride thing is real. And, you know, when you get hurt as bad as LSU did last year defensively, this year they're really going to come out and try to prove something. And I love Derek Stingley joining that number seven crew. You know, talk about guys, Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger, Leonard Fournette, all the really famous LSU players, number seven. And Derek Stingley's going to be the top corner, could even be the top pick in next year's NFL draft. Definitely going to be the top corner. So joining that number seven crew really fits him. And so kind of moving on away from those top couple, let's get in the middle tier of the West. And I actually got Ole Miss finishing fourth in the West. It kind of went back and forth a little bit on Ole Miss and Auburn, but Ole Miss won the day for me because I think Matt Corral is the best quarterback in the SEC. Really do think that. We're going to post up a question uh, later in the week asking who is the best quarterback in the SEC, and I'll go ahead and say Matt Corral. You know, JT Daniels, like we talked about earlier, was the guy that has the most weapons coming back, but I think Matt Corral is the best quarterback in the SEC. And, you know, we talk about guys that Ole Miss lost. They lost the you know, undrafted free agent in Kenny Yaboa, but he also lost the second-round pick to the New York Jets and Elijah Moore, your top offensive option last year. But Braylon Sanders, he can kind of fit that mold for Ole Miss. And you talk about Jerry and Ely at running back. Didn't play in the spring game, but he's going to, you know, play a vital role for Ole Miss offensively. The one thing I would like to see Ole Miss do, since the defense was last in every SEC category last year, they definitely could be improved because, you know, they added some guys in, on the recruiting trail that can really benefit them on defense. I don't think this year is not going to be the ultimate say in whether or not their defense is improved. I think it'll be next year before you'll be able to see vast improvement on it. Ole Miss defensively, and because of that, I this year, and the reason I put Ole Miss ahead of Auburn is because of this. We talked about Josh Heupel 
earlier Tennessee playing more complimentary football. I actually really do think that Lane Kiffin is going to slow down a little bit on offense this year to have that opportunity to play more complimentary football because he's been through this already last year. And Josh Heupel's new hasn't been to the SC, hasn't been through the SEC yet, but because this is Lane Kiffin's time now at Ole Miss, going through what he went through last year defensively, I actually really do think it's it opened his eyes in this offseason. He's really going to – and in this season, he's really going to try to possibly – you know, you don't want to slow the offense down so much because you still want them to go at that pace that you want. You still want to score 42, 45 points a game just in case your defense slips up. But possibly – you know, I really do think he's going to slow it down a little bit on offense to play more complimentary football. And because of that – I think Ole Miss wins one more game than Auburn does. And so that's the only reason why I put Ole Miss ahead of Auburn because as we get into Auburn, I really love the Brian Harson hire. I've said it on the show a lot. I think he's out of the box. He's hired a great staff. It's a great mixture of SEC experience along with guys coming with him from Boise. And to me, when you mix together that staff, I think it's a great mixture and then Bo Nix is development. Now, I want to see what Bo Nix does this year. Because his first year, he was a really nice quarterback. But last year under Chad Morris, he, he took a step back. And I don't know if that's just because of coaching, just because of his you – know, because of him. I don't really know what, the, what was going on with Bo Nix last year. You could really see the frustration on the sideline when they played South Carolina last year. And Bo Nix threw those – interceptions to J.C. Horn, you can really see him and Chad Morris not connecting on the sidelines. I really do think that that Brian Harson and Mike Bobo blending their offenses together is going to be a great thing for Bo Nix's development, plus his mind. You know, one of the things we talked about with Mac Jones coming out in the NFL draft, whenever we were talking to our NFL draft experts on the show, just how great of a mind he is because he had the ability – Sark give him the ability at the line to be able to change the protection, call audibles, change the calls. I really want to see Bo Nix do that this year. And Mike Bobo, we saw it last year up close and personal at South Carolina with Colin Hill. You know, one of the reasons Colin Hill got the job at South starting quarterback job at South Carolina is because he was able to understand what Mike Bobo wanted at the line of scrimmage. He's able to read the defense, make the checks, switch the protections. He's able to do all that. And, and I hadn't seen that from Bo Nix yet, but I, this, that's really what I want to see from Bo Nix this season. So, and I really do think he's going to be able to do that because they're going to put a lot on his plate. You know, Coach Bobo, so many checks at the line that he requires, so much in the mind that's going on with the quarterbacks. I really want to see him develop that mind that we talked about with Mac Jones. And, you know, I really do think Bo Nix has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in this league because he certainly has the talent for it. He just has to develop the mind a little more and just needs confidence, in my opinion, because he's definitely got the best running back in the SEC in Tank Bigsby. And similar to South Carolina, who are you throwing the ball to? If you can figure that out in the offseason, maybe add a wide receiver from the transfer portal, Auburn probably does go ahead of Ole Miss in our pre in our picks. 
just so if they do, definitely looking forward to seeing what Auburn does in the years to come because, again, I love the Brian Harson hire. And kind of switching to the last little bit of the SEC, we start talking about Arkansas. Sam Pittman's an outstanding coach. And he's, he's building. He's going to build that program right. It's just not ready yet. You know, K.J. Jefferson's a, a serviceable quarterback, but it hurts losing Mike Woods transferring to Oklahoma. Still have Traylon Burks. He could possibly be one of the best wide receivers in the SEC this year. But they're also their defense was near the bottom of the league last year. So, again, just a real brief summary on Arkansas. Sam Pittman's an outstanding coach. I think K.J. Jefferson, people are kind of underestimating him a little bit. I think he'll be better than, than what people think, but it really would have helped if, if Felipe Franks would have stayed around another year for Arkansas. So that's why I put them at the bottom of the league. But Mississippi State's the last one. Mike Leach is improving. You know, we talk about the attrition that he faced on the roster when he took over last year. Kylan Hill barely played last year. Now he's really improving the roster, but it's just going to take time. You know, next year is going to be a lot better year for Mississippi State. But this year, you know, Will Rogers is a very serviceable quarterback. Zach Arnett, so many so – Zach Arnett, the defensive coordinator, did a really nice job last year. You just have to find a way. It's just going to take a little bit of time. You know, taking the next step for Mississippi State this year, I don't know if they're going to do it. They may even take a step back this year, maybe. But – by next year, you want to have that solid foundation built to be able to go out and sign a really great recruiting class and be able to compete in the SEC West next year if you're Mike Leach in Mississippi State. But to do that, you're going to have to find more creative ways to run the football. You're going to have to, to throw more swings, more screens. You know, Try to run the football just a little bit more. But even if you don't, just find more creative ways to get your talented running backs the football. I think Will Rogers is able to do that. And then you have you have to adjust the team scheming up the air raid. You know, the book was out on the air raid and Mike Leach in the SEC by game four last year. So you have to find ways in the offseason to really focus on adjusting to teams trying to scheme up how to defend your air raid system because the teams, they do that in the SEC. They do it at a massive rate. These coaches are the best in the business. So you really have to adjust. You have to make great in-game adjustments. You have to make great halftime adjustments. And that's one of the things that Alabama's great at is doing that. So that's going to wrap up our SEC preseason picks. Going to throw the graphic up one last time, let you see it again. So Georgia went in the East, Alabama went in the West. Make sure you head over to, to Twitter and Instagram, social media, at Plays Crunch. This graphic is going to be posted there. And give me your thoughts below in the comments on what you think, on what you think the standings are going to be and how you see the SEC stacking up. And we can kind of go back and forth. So I'm really looking forward to that. And we're Really excited about the future of this show. Thank you so much for, for tuning in, everybody. It really, it really means a lot to me, and, and just thank you so much for, for tuning in. So 
If you haven't, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe here on YouTube as well. And we'll look forward to doing more of these solo edition of Crunch Time Plays down the road. So God bless everybody.